Hello. Uh, most of you uh, perhaps don't know me, but uh, my name is uh, Justin George, and the uh, the Saints at Boulevard have actually asked me to to speak this morning. Uh, I am actually secularly employed, but I do a, a fair bit of preaching, and I was actually scheduled to be in Florida uh, this weekend, and the elders had asked me to actually continue on in the normal study that you all have been doing on the parables of the Lord Jesus. Uh, obviously, who would have seen um, just a few months ago when the schedule was made that we would be uh, finding ourselves in the situation that we are in. Uh, this morning's message is not a, a coronavirus-oriented uh, message. Um, I am just going to speak as the uh, on the passes that the elders have asked me to speak on, uh, specifically abiding in Christ. Uh, but just having said that, I do just want to make a few uh, just introductory remarks uh, just by way of the situation that is around us. Uh, we do need to be praying for many who are on the the front lines. Uh, much of my immediate family is, is in that position. Uh, I have a brother who's a pediatrician. Um, two of my sister-in-laws are, are physicians. One is an emergency room doctor who is six months pregnant. My other sister-in-law is a uh, very specialized hemopathologist who's dealing with uh, blood blood cancer uh, patients and still needing their transfusions and so uh, they are certainly on the front lines and so we need to be praying for them for for nurses for those who are in the uh, the public health profession uh, but what comes with that as well is we need to be praying for um, for those who are going to be to be struggling in um, financially just through uh, them the loss of their jobs or their means of livelihood have been suspended. And uh, obviously, as I've been reading the scriptures, you know, the early church, as it was persecuted, as the Macedonian believers and the Jerusalem believers, they would be, what they would do is, even in their poverty, they would be giving to, to others. They would be, be giving to, to, to express the love of Christ to the broader body of believers. So what I would be encouraging the saints this morning is to be thinking not so much about yourselves but to be thinking about how we can practically come alongside those who need to see the love of Christ practically manifested. Just the last thing I'll say before I begin is um, please do stay inside. I know that I'm not a public health official, but I've seen a lot of Facebook posts of people out and about uh, going to the beach or doing whatever it is you do in Florida. And uh, obviously this is not the, the time uh, really to be frankly, acting so cavalier, and I think we want to be part of the solution, so to the extent possible, we need to be just staying inside. But with that, uh, this morning, the subject we will be considering is abiding in Christ. Uh, but before we do that, we want to be thinking about, if we don't know Christ, we are actually abiding in wrath. And so we'll begin by opening our time in prayer. Our Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, even as we think about a, a virtual setting with these saints at Boulevard and perhaps in other parts of the globe, our Father, we do pray that even as as only you can do, even by your spirits, that you would our, open our hearts to receive that which you would have us to know, that the Lord Jesus might be glorified, that those who would hear this message might be uh, built up in their most holy faith, and for those who perhaps don't know the Savior, that they would come to him. Asking now for your blessing on our time, praying this in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
John's Gospel, chapter 3, John's Gospel, chapter 3, um, the, uh, the assembly here at Boulevard has been going through the parables of the Lord Jesus, and there's a, a parable is mean, merely an earthly story with a sort of a divine meaning, and so oftentimes the Lord Jesus would take something very practical and very simple, uh, which they could relate to, oftentimes dealing with things such as farming, and the Lord Jesus would use that to, uh, to address and to reveal a deeper spiritual principle. And so we're going to think today about the, the vine and the branches, uh, using that farming analogy of, of, of the production of, of wine, uh, production of grapes, but using that as that analogy to be thinking about what it means to abide in Christ. But perhaps if uh, not knowing everyone's on this this morning, we want to be thinking about if you, apart from knowing Christ, um, if you don't know Christ, you're abiding in wrath. And so we just want to read one verse in John chapter 3, and just reading from verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. It says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You know, sometimes we as Christians, as we are trying to communicate the message of the gospel to the lost world around us, uh, sometimes we'll use phrases such as, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, uh, you are, you deserve judgment, or you are, maybe people use the terms like you're going to hell. And I want to be clear uh, this morning that, you know, I have sometimes used such language in, in trying to communicate the gospel. But this verse actually uh, reveals to us a much deeper truth. Uh, this ver- ver- verse reveals that we are, all, we are already under God's judgments. Apart from knowing the Lord Jesus, we are under God's judgment. That means that what happens to a person who doesn't trust Christ, the answer is nothing because they were under God's wrath beforehand and they are still under God's wrath. It says that the, the wrath of God abides on him. It remains on him. You see, this is the condition that the entire world finds itself under. Under God's wrath, under God's righteous anger towards sin. Now, of course, in the modern 21st century, the modern that to be quite offensive. I one time was trying to share the gospel with a friend, and he and I were talking about various aspects of the gospel. And what he said to me incredulously was, you mean to tell me that, you know, I try to live a good life, I try to be, uh, do the best that I can, I don't go around hurting others, and you mean to tell me that I'm going to receive judgment, that I'm going to uh, be separated from God, that I would be going to hell because I don't believe in your Jesus? Is that what you're telling me? And the reality is that that, that phrase from my friend could very well have been said by anyone. The average person on the street would be thinking, I try to be a good person. I try to do my best. But when we, when, we, when we say that the Bible is teaching that God has righteous anger towards sin, what we're saying is that God is infinitely holy, infinitely just. 
that the standards that, that we need to deal with, the, the standard of right and wrong, the, the standard of what makes something good is not the ambiguous or the relative nature of our own standards of morality. It's actually God, the very character of God. Some years ago, I was in Poland. I went to Poland for the purpose of, uh, of going to see Auschwitz, the, the Nazi concentration camp, perhaps one of the, the greatest manifestations of untold evil in the world. And I have stood in the gas chamber. I have stood there in silence, in horror, with many other people in the same room, and we were all horrified. And when you think of a place like that, we're immediately inclined to think about the, the horrors that are in the world, the, the evil that's in the world, that, that if there's a righteous and a holy God, then clearly there are those who are in deser- deserving of judgments because of their sins. And yet this morning we want to be thinking about not kind of trying to compare ourselves what in human terms would be the, the worst individuals, but rather to look within our own hearts and to consider how within our own hearts does our conscience sear us, does our conscience reveal to us that we've failed to, to do that which is perfect and right in every circumstance. Because this verse is revealing the problem that the wrath of God remains on us. But of course, the, the beauty of the gospel, the, the beauty of the good news is that if we can see the problem for what it is, not to pretend that it's it's something that is just I need to try to do better, but the problem is that as I am a, a lost sinner, unable to save myself, it, deserving of judgment, that if we can see ourselves like that this morning, the beauty of this verse would tell us that the one who believes on the Son has everlasting life. That we first recognize that we're guilty, but that by believing on the Son, by believing on the finished work of the Lord Jesus, believing on Him, and Him alone, we can be saved. We can uh, enter into a right standing with God. Not on the basis of human merits. Not on the basis of, of trying to keep the sacraments or trying to do two things or five things or seven things or ten things. A, a list which we try to keep in order to obtain God's favor. But rather what this verse is telling us to, is to rely on Christ and Christ alone. Everyone's soul lives on. People who believe in the Lord Jesus and people who don't believe in the Lord Jesus, everyone will physically die apart from the Lord returning. The question is, is when it speaks about life, it's talking about a quality of life, a quality of life that is found by knowing Christ. That you and I, what were we created for? To even to know God, even through a personal relationship with the Son. That if you don't know Christ, we implore you on the authority of the Word of God to be reconciled to God. That God loves you. That he sent the Son, the Lord Jesus, to, to die on the cross for your sins. And that by believing, believing in him and him alone, uh, you can be saved. You can know your sins forgiven. You can have a relationship with God right now. This verse re- refers to having everlasting life as a, as a present possession. That right now you enter into a relationship with the Lord. It's not something that you, you find out when you die. Rather, God is not a 
God is not a subject to be studied, as it were. He's a person to be known. And this morning, the word of reconciliation, which we preach to the whole world, is that God is, a, is God wants to be known. He sent the Son, the Lord Jesus, to die for your sins and that you can, you can know him. Perhaps during this, this time of uncertainty all across the globe, as people are very aware of their own mortality, perhaps now is a time to consider eternity and where we'll spend eternity. And so those are my thoughts initially on how we abide in God's wrath if we don't know Christ. But with that, for the rest of our time together, I invite you to turn your Bibles, for those who have them, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and as I alluded to, uh, the, the saints at Boulevard have been going through a systematic study of various parables uh, throughout the scripture. Uh, John chapter 15 is not necessarily thought of as a parable. I actually had not thought about it in those, in those terms. But indeed, the Lord Jesus is giving us a physical, um, something physical, something practical, which we could relate to, to reveal a deeper uh, spiritual principle. In John chapter 13 through chapter 17, we have what some have described as the farewell ministry of Christ. That the Lord Jesus, knowing what was going to befall him, knowing that he was going to go to the cross, knowing that he was going to die for the sins of the world, he gathers his disciples to teach them about holiness. Much of what I'll be sharing this morning, for those who uh, who have read Dr. Gooding's book, uh, In the School of Christ, uh, certainly I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I drew heavily on that book. Uh, our brother has a, a very unique and a very special way of, of revealing uh, truth from the, from the Word of God. But John chapters 13 to 17 reveals the Lord Jesus giving his, lesson, his disciples lessons on holiness, beginning in chapter 13, dealing with what we describe as the foot washing, describing the need for one daily, one overall cleansing, which is the moment of salvation, but the need for then believers to have a daily cleansing, a daily experience with the Lord where the, the filth of the world, the filth of our own sins that we commit in, on a daily, uh, in our daily lives, that we can be actually dealing with that even by knowing Christ, even by uh, having our, uh, a close, intimate rela- uh, fellowship with him. It's important to realize that John chapter 15 is about fellowship. It's a passage about service, about it's only applicable for believers, for those who know Christ. And so uh, we want to make sure that we're understanding that the distinction is for those who know Christ. This is the Lord Jesus giving them a picture of how they are going to be fruitful. In John chapter 13 to 14, uh, the setting is the upper room, the upper room where the Lord Jesus would institute, uh, where he would uh, institute, show them, uh, demonstrate the, the foot washing and demonstrate the need for the daily cleansing. And there is that aspect of holiness, that, as, that aspect of we in and of ourselves in our daily communion with the Lord are being cleansed from the filth of our own sin in our personal relationship with the world. But then, as you find at the end of chapter, uh, at the end of chapter 14 and verse 31, he says, arise, let us go hence. The idea being is now the setting is going to change. The setting is probably now going to leave that upper room because the Lord Jesus is going to be talking about the other aspect of holiness. That yes, there is a personal communion with the Lord, but now there needs to be that aspect of 
of a testimony to the world around them. And that's what we're thinking about when we think about service and being fruitful. John chapter 15, I'm going to read the first eight verses. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruits. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And we trust that the Lord would, would even add his blessing to the, to the reading of his words. When the Lord Jesus says that he is the true vine, he's referring to himself as someone who is genuine, not a counterfeit. And we would be wise to remember that there are indeed many counterfeits in the world today. Many counterfeits, uh, gospels, many other uh, different ways of uh, of, of, of communicating truth and uh, many different philosophies as to what the truth is. But the Lord Jesus is making an exclusive claim. He's saying that he himself is that true vine, the one who is genuine, not a counterfeit, the ultimate person to be attached to. But he's, he's giving himself, he's describing himself now using a, an analogy which those in, in the, in the time period, in the locale that was this was said in, would have resonated with them, describing himself as a vine, and his father is the, the husbandman. The, the father is the one who prunes. As, um, you know, the divine expresses itself in the, the power, in the love, in the, in the character that is revealed from Christ, when he describes uh, believers as the branches, he's referring to that the character of Christ is acts of his own character is revealed in them as they abide in him. This is how he's going to describe his provision for holiness. He says in verse two, every branch in me that bears fruit, he takes away. And right away, that verse would perhaps give us pause. What's he referring to when he's describing branches that are taken away? And the answer, of course, far from revealing, describing a believer, is describing those who identify with the Lord Jesus but are never, uh, were never truly saved. Those who are fruitless, those who do not have true faith, uh, because the new life is going to express itself. Uh, one of the analogies that I've seen, which is perhaps the most helpful, is to think about a, a newborn baby. A newborn baby does not become a baby by crying. 
But if the baby does not cry when it's born, we immediately recognize that there's something fundamentally wrong. In fact, we would perhaps there would be a stillbirth. Because the idea is that the very thing that a baby would do would, would be to cry, would be to make noise. The noise is not what makes the, the baby alive, but the noise is what, is what reveals the reality of that. And when he describes every branch in me, he purges every branch in me that bears fruit, that bears not fruit, he takes away. Uh, he is talking, uh, if you might imagine, the analogy from Matthew 13, how there are various responses to the gospel. Uh, some seed, it says it, it falls on thorny ground, and, or, or stony ground, so that people immediately, it says, it, it springs up. That is, that there are those in the world who publicly identify with Jesus, with the Lord, who publicly identify themselves as Christian on the basis of their just own outward affiliation. Perhaps they uh, ascribe that through the uh, through their parents or whatever their upbringing may be, but they're identifying with Christ, as Christian. Yet we see that there's a world of difference between identifying with Christ and actually to be known by him. This world is, this verse is revealing to us that the, the one that's not bearing fruits is actually a person who's not a true believer and even the father is going to, uh, to uh, that branch is going to be uh, taken away. But then it says, every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruits. We've talked a lot about fruit. You know, what is fruit? Uh, you'll be discussing this more in your, in your small groups, but fruits refers to uh, the fact of the, of the character of Christ as manifested in our own selves. Uh, Galatians would tell us about the fruit of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faith, love, self-control, that these characteristics which are characterized of God are, are even what characterizes us as believers. That's the fruit that it's talking about. That fruit is, is manifested in our own inward character, which is then revealed in, in works. It's then revealed in behavior. He describes that process of, of pruning of, of cutting, of, of doing that which on the outward would seem to be painful. Using the farmer analogy, you think about a farmer going to a vine and pruning the branches, taking a perhaps something sharp and, and removing it. And perhaps that would immediately conjure up the idea of pain. And perhaps as a bystander uh, looking at what the farmer is doing, you might be thinking, well, what are you doing of course, we recognize that what the farmer is doing is is doing that which is is necessary for the growth of the branches, uh, for the branches to be closely knit to the vine. Uh, he's he's removing that which is unnecessary, that which is unhelpful. And yet there is a a spiritual reality there, a spiritual reality of what God is is doing in the in the life of the believer. That he wants to, to prune. That he's revealing to us those aspects of our character, those, those parts of our behaviors which are contrary to the will of God. That he's, what he's doing is lovingly showing us the areas where we need to, uh, 
where we where we need to frankly turn ourselves over to Him, to be more yielded to Him, and to even uh, to ultimately, while it is indeed a painful process, it is a necessary process in order for us to be fruitful. He describes in verse three. It says, "Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you." Back in John 13, the Lord Jesus, with respect to the foot washing, uh, he he just he uh, uh, described a one-time bathing, a one-time cleansing, and Judas Iscariot was there at that time, and he was not a true believer. But here we find that Judas Iscariot has already left. And so in verse 3, the Lord Jesus is just speaking to true believers. He's, he's speaking to true believers to, uh, to describe uh, their position. Where, where are they? That they are clean. That, that they, are, they, are, they are indeed uh, true believers because they have believed on the word which he has spoken. They are indeed genuine believers. But now we come to the heart of our passage. The heart of our passage where we want to be thinking about how does this relate to us? How do we live in the good of this in the 21st century? It says to abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself and accept it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. The idea of this verse is describing to remain in place, to have constant, continual fellowship with the Lord. You see, sometimes when we think about our daily cleansing, the need for daily communion with the Lord, we might think about it in terms of having a perhaps a daily devotion, perhaps a, a daily time in the Word of God. We might be thinking about maybe there's a time in which we pray. But I would suggest that verse 4 is actually describing a, a much deeper reality. Uh, it's describing a, a deep fellowship, a deep daily communion with the Lord. He's describing that if we want to have the, the character of Christ, those fruits of the Spirit manifested within our own character, he says this, except you abide in the vine, no more can ye, except you abide in me. The idea is that think about those branches in the vine. The branches in and of themselves have no power. The branches in and of themselves have no ability to be fruitful. The same is true spiritually. Unless we are abiding in Christ, <laughs> unless we're abiding in Christ, we can never be fr- fruitful. Now, obviously, we, we must have first come to him. We, we must have first come to him uh, for the salvation of our souls. But now it's talking about there is a, a, an active activity that we need to be actively knowing Christ on a, on a daily basis. Think about what the idea of intimate is, of the idea of of closeness implies. It implies a not just a perhaps a a daily devotion or something to that effect, but rather it it describes a, a constant communion with Christ. Now, when we think about this in a more practical level, we want to think about how that works itself out in even in our own behaviors you know, I, I would I would confess, even in it's kind of difficult, not not exactly sure how how much this is resonating with those, because usually I'm looking at people and trying to follow along their their body language. But I know for myself as a as a person who's responsible to preach quite a bit, 
you know, it's very, very easy to study the Bible to prepare messages. Uh, it's very easy to to be studying to, to to know facts, to have a daily number of chapters which you're reading in order to be prepared to to deliver that to others. But I would suggest to you that that's not what's being talked about here. It's something much deeper. It's having a, a genuine, practical, intimate relationship with the Lord on a moment-by-moment basis. And when we find ourselves thinking about the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, which manifests itself in, in many different ways, when we have, for example, outbursts of anger, or we, when we don't show love, or when we're impatient, the things that are contrary to the will of God, contrary to his own character, what's that revealing to us? It reveals to us that we're not actually abiding in Christ. Because if we're abiding in Christ, then we're going to be fruitful. The fruits of the Spirit are going to manifest itself in us. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You want to think about fruitfulness. We want to think about fruits is manifested even in our own character, which ultimately then reveals itself in works. But it says, without me, you can do nothing. You know, one of the things, as I think about local assemblies like my own, local assemblies that I I preach at frequently, uh, and even a a local assembly like Boulevard's, you know, this would be a, a collective charge. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, we might think about the perhaps the various outreaches that we might have might have tried to do, the various ways in which we've tried to um, to reach out to the community to show the love of Christ, the way the various ways in which uh, perhaps even within within your own family you've tried to um, to do things to to, to foster a, a Christ-likeness attitude in perhaps your own family and your children, whatever the case may be. But here it says something very blank, very simple, very obvious, very obvious intellectually, but the challenge is how we think about how it works practically. It says, you can't do anything apart from me. Now, there are many people specifically in the world today who, especially in light of the circumstances, are are going about and doing works. They're, they're, they're doing things which they think make sense, which would perhaps on a practical level, perhaps relieve the suffering. And in some ways, Christians are being put to shame by these behaviors, by the people who don't know Christ trying to sow love to their neighbor. This verse is revealing to us that as we have a close communion and fellowship with the Lord, we are going to be the sort of the extent, the, the mouthpiece for Christ in the lost world, and not just proclaiming the word of the gospel, but as as James would tell us, what is true religion to to visit the widows, the fatherless in their affliction. We can't do that in, a, in the spiritual sense. We can go through the motions, but in, a, in, a, in an actual spiritual sense, it has to come from within. It has to come from within, from daily knowing Christ, and then that behavior working itself out. It says in verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And they gather them, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 
hold your finger there, I invite you to come with me to 1 John. This is perhaps a, um, a confusing passage. It says that it reveals to us that men gather them and they cast them into the fire, they are burned. Um, he is cast forth as a branch. What is this, what is this talking about? First uh, John chapter 2 would give us a very specific picture of what is being uh, talked about. It's talked about those who are playing the parts, who are playing the game, who are outwardly spiritual, who are outwardly identifying with Christ. It says this, First John chapter 2, reading from verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. It says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued. That word there in the Greek is the same as abide with us. But they went out, went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So here we're talking about those who, like Judas Iscariot, those who would be affiliated with the Lord, who would identify as Christian, and then they they fought, they, they, they no longer do so. It says men, that is the idea of, in the world, people no longer identify them as such. But what's this referring to? It's not referring to a believer losing his salvation. It's referring to what was actually true being revealed, that these people didn't know Christ. That these people were not part of the body of Christ. And they would then, that would then be ultimately manifested by then outwardly leaving. It says, and men gather them, they are cast into the fire, they are burned. This is referring to those who never know, knew Christ, no longer publicly identifying as such. But then we get into these verses that what is, what is the real, what's the real benefit here? Not just does it, by abiding in Christ, having that daily close communion with the Lord. And as I encourage you and your small groups to be thinking more about how that works itself out. To be thinking, well, what, what what's the actual practical outworking? You know, one of the things that young people struggle with, old people struggle with, but one of the things younger people struggle with is the will of the Lord. What does God want me to do? And perhaps this passage is not the first passage that people would turn to you turn you to when you want to think about what is the will of the Lord. But verse 7 reveals to us that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. The idea is that as we're having daily close communion with the Lord, as we're fellowshiping, as we're fellowshipping with him, we're exchanging wills. Our will becomes his will becomes our will. So when it says you shall ask what you will, the idea is not so much this is a carte blanche. This is not a an open-ended invitation. The idea is that as we're communing with the Lord, our will become his will becomes our will, and therefore we're going to act and we're going to know what he wants, and that's going to be manifested in in how we we live. Bill McDonald, the one of the most famous preachers in our circles. In 2004, I had the privilege of meeting him. And I asked him a, a specific question about, uh, most of you know that he, uh, the Lord uh, never gave him a, a, a help meet. Uh, uh, he was single uh, for his life. But I asked him the question of, 
of how or when did you decide to be single? And I will never forget his answer. And perhaps this has much more broader application. He said to me that he never decided to, to, to be single. He never decided to not get married. He said every day he would wake up and get on his knees and exchange will his will with God's. And say, Lord, here's my life. Do with it as you please. You make the decisions in all aspects of life. And of course, we we know that the fruitfulness that's that bro- that brother was was able to to impart on the world, even by uh, being a prolific writer to to encourage the saints. But the idea is that it wasn't a decision on on a, a one day basis. It was a daily communion with the Lord, and I have seen this manifested in Him. And certainly in others, but the, the challenge in our own hearts is that, is that really our attitude? Have we actually exchanged wills with God? Have we, are we walking in such close communion and fellowship with him that we could actually say that his will is our will? It's a promise given to us in verse 7. You want to know the will of the Lord. It's not about who you're going to marry or where you're going to go to school or what job you, you should have. It's about having daily close fellowship with the Lord's. And even being guided by his spirits, that's going to that's gonna manifest itself as we're walking in close communion with the Lord. And then we find this. And we might be thinking about degrees. We might be thinking about closeness to the Lord in a, well, in a relative sense. John, the apostle, was, it's described him as, the one who the Lord loved. Now, he loved everybody, but clearly there was a a, a closeness, an intimate, an intimacy there. And what we want to be thinking about is not comparing ourselves, our relationship with the Lord with other people. We'll be thinking about, is my relationship with the Lord today closer than it was a year ago? Closer than it was 10 years ago? Uh, one of the challenges that we want to have even in our own hearts is to be a, not just abiding in Christ, but to experience that degrees of, of greater and greater closeness. As, as we pray for the saints at Boulevard, as we think about how can you be fruitful, it's not, it's not about whatever programs you might be trying to put on, whether that be kids clubs or soccer ministry, whatever the case may be. It's about believers walking in close communion with the Lord. And we come there in verse 8. It says, herein is my Father glorified. To think about that, that we as believers can bring glory to God. How? Even by own by our own fruitfulness. Bearing fruits. Bearing fruits. <laughs> we want to make sure that we're not missing the order. Intimacy first. Close communion with the Lord first. Fellowship with the Lord first. And then that fruitfulness of character will manifest itself in works, and that the world around us, as Matthew 5 would tell us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The idea is that as we ultimately do good works, that's revealing ultimately the character of God to the world around us, and they don't glorify us. That's not the point of fruit-bearing. They glorify the Lord, even our Father who is in heaven. 
because they look at they look at us as individuals, they see our collective testimony, and they see us as those who manifest even the character of Christ, and therefore the world will glorify God, to give him the praise, the honor that's due, to come to him, to know him. And even in these dark times, even in these very challenging circumstances, uh, this is this is my prayer for the saints here. Uh, that ultimately, as we think about glorifying God, why were we created? What is the, the, the believer's ultimate occupation even to worship the Lord but to know him and ultimately for the world around us to even glorify him even as we think about how even in the the confines of our own homes over the next several days weeks uh, who knows how long this will be might we be walking in close communion with the Lord until he come Might, might, might we be found faithful abiding in Christ if you don't know Christ, as we've already shared, today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to come to him, to recognize the problem and, and to see him as the solution. And if you know Christ, our prayer for you is that you would be abiding in him. Let's pray together. Father, for the Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for your truth. We give you thanks. And even as we have had this message virtually, we pray for each and every uh, person who would hear it, believer and unbeliever alike, that even that your word would accomplish its purpose, uh, praying in confidence, knowing that it'll accomplish it uh, even as by your spirits, asking for help in time of need, asking for help to think about how we practically can show the love of Christ to the world around us, even praising you for its past, trusting you in the uncertain times that are to come, asking and praying this in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's a privilege to have been with you, uh, perhaps uh, in the future, if if the Lord be not come, there might be opportunity to actually see each other uh, in person. The Lord bless you.